So, welcome back to Cracks in Postmodernity with our very special guest, uh, artist extraordinaire, Erin McAtee. Say hello, Erin. Hey, what's up? So, Erin, tell us who you are. Tell us about your artistic mission and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I have lived in New York City for a little over two years now, and uh, I do a lot of ministry um, within the church here in the city um, with various religious orders um, and bring in my gifts as an art teacher as well as a studio artist into those spaces and uh, work hands-on with people to create art um, and to address the needs of, of beauty in, in some of these spaces. Um, and I'm currently a Master of Fine Arts candidate. So I interviewed you was over a year ago it was when covid first started yes yeah. yeah like march 2020 so if you want to read that interview it was published in none other than the national catholic reporter which i'm not going to say more about but <laughs> uh, <laughs> in that interview you said a lot about your own history and how like your attraction to working with people living in poverty really informed your artistic sensibility. So can you just say a little bit about that? I think it's really important to like your whole yeah. mission. So I I recognize that I had a, a deep call to um to serve the materially poor when I was finishing up my time uh with a ministry that serves college students um, and we all have this call um, to serve the poor but this desire just deepened in me after volunteering with a friend of mine at a shelter here in the city and I responded to the call about a year later and was able to move to the city and uh, just started making connections quickly and realized like there was this huge um, excitement and thirst for the beautiful uh, in, in these, these places of poverty, of material poverty. So once I started to volunteer full-time and get to know people of various ages and backgrounds within these shelter settings or youth center settings, I started to recognize like it, it wasn't really me who was the one serving it was sort of the opposite um i felt more often than not that i was the one being served and i think that's a lot of people's experiences when yeah. they enter into full-time mission in various organizations uh, or mission experiences it's like you you recognize that you're being taught and like get given so much more than you put in and that's sort of the beautiful, like cyclical nature of of love and recognizing one's one's own like deep interior poverty amidst like an environment of deep material poverty. So there was a lot of this kind. Of, I learned a lot about that, and also really started to focus my gaze on to the people I was working with um, more. With, with more intention of trying to find the face of Christ within them. And that also influenced my work, like kind of practicing this gaze, seeing the face of Christ in people and trying to uh, reveal that within my drawings and paintings and prints. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm like missing something. Mm. But. No, so speaking of the relationship between art and faith, art, and spirituality. We're going to talk all about brand new exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum, uh, Andy Warhol Revelation, which is basically a collection of his art with religious themes, amongst other other things. So we went. Is it? It's almost a month ago. Pretty like right after Thanksgiving. Ago. We went after Thanksgiving when it first opened up. Um, what were you expecting going into it? I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I've seen a handful of Warhol's more overtly Catholic imagery um, in other exhibitions, but 
I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I just kind of went into it blindly because I knew that you were excited about it. So I was excited about it. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I just imagined kind of kitschy images of like multicolored Madonna and Childs. And mm. I, I assumed, of course, that the Last Supper images would be in there and that there might be some other references to his childhood growing up Catholic. Um, but I, I had no idea what to expect. Yeah, a lot of people I talk to when I say like, oh, yeah, his religious art. And they're like, really? He was religious? He was Catholic? Mm -hmm. So it's not super well known, but those who are in the know, know. Mm -hmm. And I think I first found that out. I think it was this article, which we're going to reference later on by Mark Barnes on Patheos about when he first when no, when he visited the Vatican in 1980 and how he attended mass somewhat regularly at St. Vincent Ferrer, which is here in the city, uh, didn't take communion. Um, also was very self-conscious about making the sign of the cross from left to right because he was raised Byzantine Catholic and they go right to left. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that and then also that he was celibate. So a lot of these things that people don't know. Um, the other moment that I like realized that like I knew that he had, you know, his faith privately, but I didn't realize it influenced his art until the Whitney exhibit, like two or three years ago. They had the camouflage Last Supper, which is basically mm. like these uh, silkscreen prints of Da Vinci's Last Supper with camouflage on it, mm. and that was like the end of the exhibit, basically showing how like he camouflaged his faith from mm. the public. So like I was going in just being familiar with some of the basics. Um, there also is a book by, I think her name was Jane Dillenberger. She collected, um, she basically put together all of his religious pieces and wrote like the history of his upbringing and his faith life, which is a great resource. Uh, but again, not super well known to everyone. Mm. So um, do people you know, like know anything about his religious background or is it still like pretty hush hush? Well, yeah, actually one of my teachers at school talked to, like, he, he gave us a lesson recently that was very um, in-depth about just some of Warhol's early experiences, and we watched a documentary that talked more about that, mm -hmm. um, and of course that included a history of his growing up as a Byzantine Catholic in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. um, with his immigrant family, and so... Yeah. So, and and this this teacher that that shared this lesson with us about Warhol um, is very encouraging to all of us to really to be authentic to our vision and to what we feel inspired to create in our our own artwork. And so, <clears throat> he was really trying to drive this point home. Like, yeah, Warhol was was raised with this faith. Warhol was raised with these other experiences in his family. And those were really important and personal to him later in his artwork. So there are people, in, I, I think, in the art world uh, who know these things about him. I, I don't think it's a secret, but I think often it's glazed over by most art historians and critics. That mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay, here was here is this uh, you know faith part of his life that was related to faith. But it's not that important because his his work wasn't that like quote unquote religious, um, and so yeah. But outside of that, not really. I mean, like a lot of my friends who are Catholic don't don't know that he was raised Catholic or that he was still practicing into his adulthood. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's so. I just want to start with the way that the position the uh, exhibit was framed. So like this is from the first panel in the entrance. So the they say in direct opposition to the macho abstract expressionists who dominated that era, Warhol appropriated images directly from popular culture, so pop art, making use of mechanical art making techniques like screen printing, which allowed for serial reproduction and did away with painterly brushstrokes. Warhol gained fame with now iconic images of Campbell soup cans, celebrities like Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Um, talk about his films. 
his obsession with consumerism and death. So that's a big recurring theme. Known for his deadpan witticisms, eccentric creative community, and unapologetic embrace of art's commercial potential, Warhol strategically positioned himself and his art in ways that attracted acclaim and rejection. And then here's the thing. Warhol both flaunted and obscured his sexuality and his religion, dualities that are explored in the exhibit. So the whole kind of thesis of at least the commentary within the exhibit is duality. So he's caught between consumerism and death, um, you know, tradition and modernity, post-modernity, if you will. But then the whole thing between his sexuality and his faith, um, which we found to be kind of questionable, the way that it was framed, to say the least. But you were saying before, like, they kind of complicate his faith and the way it influences art when really it, you don't see it that way. How do we say more about that? Because I think that's an interesting point. Well, I think just his work isn't as complicated as a lot of people make it seem, in my opinion. Um I, I think some of the captions in the exhibition were very um, analytical or maybe trying to like scope out or, or dig up something that wasn't really there in relation to the way that he saw his sexuality um, within the realm of the Catholic Church's teachings and tradition. So I, I think like there's not actually... I, I don't know that he was really such at odds with with those two things. I, I think it's a little simpler than we need to than people make it out to be. Um, it just seems like a lot of his work comes from this personal place and from this upbringing in his faith, um, from the love that his mother gave to him, especially after his father passed away and how traumatic that was for Andy. Um, and when Andy Warhol was very sick as a, as a child, um, I, I heard like his brother would take care of him and feed him Campbell's soup and a sandwich mm-hmm. and like kind of nurse him to health. And so, and then another story from, from the documentary we watched said that like every Saturday night and Sunday, Warhol would go with his mom and make this like three mile trek to church mm-hmm. um, for Vespers and then for Mass on Sunday. Um, and you know, he'd be surrounded by these beautiful Byzantine icons um, at the front of the church. And uh, I, I think these things have more of just a, an impact, sometimes subconsciously or unconsciously, on, on an artist. And it just comes up later inevitably in the work because it's something that the artist cares about and sometimes it's as simple as that like he he cared about his faith he cared about his mother his brother the food he was given as a kid like all these things just uh kind of add up to this personal narrative that comes up later in his work so it's not purely ironic like there's real sincerity in there which is I guess not as cool, but... But it's ironic because it's not trying to be ironic. Yeah. That's, that's like, the real thing. That's that's what gets me. I'm like, wow, this is... It seems like it's supposed to be, especially some of the images of the... There was, like, from the show, these photographs of breastfeeding mm-hmm. Madonna and child, like, modern Madonna and child uh, figures, and... Um, I, I, you know, there, there are these half naked women mm-hmm. breastfeeding in different positions and with different facial expressions. And I don't think he was trying to be ironic. I think he was just trying to explore this, um, narrative that was represented for years and years and years throughout art history. And that touched a close place to his heart because of his religion and the images he grew up with and continued to see as a practicing Catholic in Catholic churches as an adult. Um, I think he just wanted to explore that. Like, what what is that today? Uh, this kind of modern Madonna and child. Yeah. 
but then it said, looks ironic. I, I don't know. He said there was like a little quote from there is like I don't think people are gonna like the the series because <laughs> like yeah. women breastfeeding is just too weird. People don't get it. Yeah. I mean, some of the photos that he took were a little mm-hmm. like perverse. Yeah. Because like some of the moms were making these like erotic faces, and I was right. like, well, if you're gonna do that, breastfeeding's weird. But otherwise, like. No, I mean, it is this modern Madonna thing. Right. Um, but anyway, so more about the pieces. The first piece you see when you walk in, it's a photo that he found from Saint Peter, the crowd in St. Peter's Square in the Vatican on Easter Sunday, 1955. So he made like a giant screen print. And then this Brooklyn-based organization or not a organization collective um superimposed an image of warhol with like a black and white striped shirt on it and it's kind of evoking the where's waldo books and to me when i saw that i was like this really shows you how warhol is like kind of the epitome of postmodernism, but especially like a postmodern approach to catholicism because you have this question, where's Warhol? Like, who am I? What defines me? What's the authentic me? Which we see, like, this is kind of the main thing that we're taught to ask in our culture. Like, who is the real you? Be your real self. Hmm. But for him, it's not this relativistic question that, like, oh, I'm just, I'm who I say I am. I'm, mm-hmm. I, you know, who I am is what I feel, what makes me feel good. Um, he goes all the way to the depth of this question and recognizes that there's something other mm-hmm. imprinted on his own being, that there is a God, that he is not, like, he doesn't have the answer to this question. So it's like you're taking this postmodern kind of angle and flipping it on its head to arrive at a kind of pre-modern result, mm-hmm. Catholicism. I don't think they were trying to say that in the intro, but like... That's what I found in it. Mm. I don't know. So that one, and then let's talk about let's talk about the um, he takes these like older images of like the Madonna or Jesus and superimposes like a price tag on it. So like you have this Madonna with a six ninety nine price tag on it. Mm. Um, what do you think he's saying there? Is there a lot of ways you could read it? I liked what you said when we first walked into the gallery and saw it. Um, you said, what is the price of grace? Yeah. I don't know why. I just I thought that was poetic and to the point. I don't know if he was trying to say that, but um, I, I think there's definitely a commentary here about the way that um, our faith or religion in general can be marketed. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, it seems like like Warhol was kind of a hoarder. Like yeah. I've been to the Warhol Museum in in Pittsburgh, and like they have in the hallways just like old taxidermy animals or like weird knickknacks that he collected, and um, and it seems that he also collected some kind of kitschy little mm-hmm. Catholic kind of trinkets or crucifixes or different little statuettes and. That was probably on his mind as as one of those consumers, like that he's purchasing these little kind of Catholic images um, and maybe having this deeper recognition, like maybe this is what the faith is being reduced to in some situations or in, in our culture, um, maybe in the culture mm. of the time as an American in the like 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. Or the flip side that, like, we put our faith in consumerism Mm. and buying stuff and not in God himself. Yeah. There are a lot of different ways you could read that. Right. Um, The other one, so there's, like, he found an ad for a Jesus nightlight. Mm -hmm. So he kind of, like, focused in on one section of the advertisement. And I showed someone, and they were like, isn't that irreverent? Isn't that kind of blasphemous? Like a jesus nightlight or that you're like it's like you're kind of um trivializing the importance of jesus when i Mm. think he's fascinated by the simplicity of the appeal of like these religious images that like you would want to make 
like something mundane, like a nightlight into mm-hmm. like you want to put Jesus on it. And it's to me, like it's a commentary on the incarnation that if you believe that God became a human, that God is relevant to these basic everyday human realities, like mm-hmm. plugging a nightlight in. Um, again, I don't know what he was trying to say, but you see that this fascination with the mundane everyday stuff, mm-hmm. I think this is hinting at the fact that he believes God is actually relevant to these everyday things, mm. and as opposed to him just like trivializing God. I Yeah, I, I almost wonder if it's somewhere in between or something that's like even simpler, like kind of what I was saying earlier. I When I look at this image of the the nightlight screen print i can't help but think um i wonder if julia his mother had a nightlight like this because she lived with him in his new york apartment for years um and she probably had some kind of knickknacks and just collected random catholic things that she Mm -hmm. found um it may have been as simple as he just he thought that that was interesting and just or out of this love for his his um his mother and maybe seeing things like this maybe not a nightlight but seeing things like this in his house growing up or in his friends houses like Mm -hmm. this might have been just a simple everyday object for him to see and so it's kind of like all right let's make a screen print yeah i don't know Uh, like it, it may be this this deeper element that's very possible but i wonder if it's a little less conscious for him than we think the other one so let's talk about the madonna inspired one so i mean the Mm -hmm. the panel i think it said it was like madonna's and magdalene figures Uh so you of course there's the marilyn monroe series that like is super popular and i remember i was reading camille palio's commentary on it and she was saying how um the like repetition of these images of women like is coming from the the icon screen that you have in byzantine eastern style churches mm-hmm. that he you know was trying to emulate um but then the one that was featured here it's these blue prints of jackie O with her chapel veil at jfk's funeral so it's interesting because it's like the first calf the death of the first catholic president um jackie owen morning with the blue tone which is very marian mm-hmm. um but it's like all these kind of goddess-like women that he depicts with these you know like the repetition it's as if he's saying this cult of the goddess the cult of the celebrity um is always destined to fall apart because these figures are human they're not god mm. so that's why like the maryland piece it starts from a very vibrant like orangey yellow color face to black and white jackie o in mourning facing her dead husband mm-hmm. so it's it's an i think it's an interesting commentary on like cult of celebrity but also the humanity of mary the divinity of christ well, I think it's interesting because in in doing that, he creates a for I think he's furthering the recognition and the legacy of these celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, like as a kid, I grew up. I, I'm I remember the first image of Marilyn Monroe that I that I saw, and I asked, you know, who is that? It was some reproduction of an Andy Warhol screen print mm-hmm. of her. Um, and I ended up like painting uh, Warhol, um, Marilyn Monroe in my art classroom in high school. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think for whatever reason, then it just it kind of uh, perpetuates their name and their legacy more by him putting them out there. And so I almost wonder, you know, like I think you see is making some kind of commentary about death and death of celebrity and legacy. And kind of what that what that means for our culture, but I think he may have been saying something else, just in a simple like admiration of these people mm-hmm. and like almost making them like modern saints by creating these pseudo icons of them. Mm. If that makes sense, so I could see either yeah. way. I don't really know which 
he would like I don't really know what his full intention was with these like the Marylands and the Jackie O's and the Elvises like all the celebrities he did so many celebrities but especially the ones centered around death I I do wonder if if that is even a subtle and unconscious reference to these saint images that he grew up with I'm not even sure he knew what he was trying to do. Yeah. With I think he was conflicted about his fascination with celebrities, with especially with their deaths. Because mm-hmm. I think, yeah, like he probably recognizes like, okay, these figures can't save me or like they're not, mm. they don't play the same role that the saints do. Yeah. Um, and yet he still is enamored by them. So maybe this is his way of grappling with this attraction, trying to figure out like why Am I so drawn to these people? Yeah. Because he was also like fascinated by fame, but also mm. wanted to be very private. So yes. he was he wasn't like he was someone who was constantly living in this tension. Like he didn't he was figuring so much out yeah. for himself. Yes. Mm. So I wanna skip to um so they talk about yeah like this fascination with death and consumerism which i think okay has something to do with again the incarnation the figure of jesus who offers himself to be consumed Mm -hmm. in the eucharist but also offers himself in death you know for Mm -hmm. for everybody and i don't think he really starts to take his own death seriously and his own i guess his sinfulness his need for salvation until he gets shot um, mm. by Valerie Solanas, who I guess she was crazy, but also he wasn't the nicest person. So right. <laughs> she's trying to get him back. Um, I forget what year it was. It was like the seven, oh. six, late 60s? I don't know. But she walks into the factory where he works and she pulls out a gun, shoots him. And he comes out alive, but has all these wounds all over his body. Mm-hmm. And you see that, like afterwards, a lot of these pieces have a much stronger focus on darkness and death. So, like he makes all these reproductions of Da Vinci's Last Supper. You start seeing a lot more skulls. Um, there's the one I think it was like an advertisement or a billboard that says "Heaven and Hell are one breath away." Uh-huh. So, like he's contemplating the last things, and it's mm-hmm. like now it's not just um, you know a kind of weird or aesthetic fascination now i think it's like it's hitting his soul They're like yeah Whoa, i'm a sinner i'm gonna die yeah that's gonna happen you know yeah so the other piece though is then like his body and the way that like all these wounds on his body now after they had to sew him up like I think it really shapes his view of or his fascination with the body in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What, what's your take on the kind of wounds and like the body thing for him? Well, that's a good question. I think he is starting to see, as you're mentioning, this reality of death, this reality of how finite we are. Um, I remember at the exhibition seeing a photograph of him without his shirt on and uh, kind of standing in this like Christ-like position uh, with his arms out kind of looking into the camera with this gaze you know and he he is clearly posing in this Christ-like deposition uh, uh, pose. And so I, from that photo, you have to recognize like, yeah, these things are on his mind, but not just in a secular way, but in a, I like, I'm coming to terms with my faith and that I, I, I almost wonder from this photo if he was thinking about this idea that like he is united with Christ and his wounds, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a very simple, well, not simple, but something that I grew up hearing as a Catholic. I don't mm-hmm. know if everyone does yeah. in a Catholic household, but this idea of like offer it up or, 
Mm-hmm. I, I remember my mother telling me, like, when I was when I would complain about something, you know, to really imagine myself in the passion, like with yeah. Christ, and to like remember that, like, I'm I'm totally united with Christ in that, and that was a way of me seeing dignity in my suffering. So I I almost wonder if if he had a similar mindset. Um, and that this brought about this deeper fascination with the body in relation to eternity mm-hmm. and the Catholic perspective on what, yeah, what does happen to our, our body and is our body entwined with our soul? Like, what does that mean, mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because so around that area within the exhibit, you see several pieces that kind of give you more perspective on his struggle with understanding both his own body, but also just like bodies in general, Mm -hmm. because you have, um, there's a, like an, a sketch from when he was younger that he did of like a nude young man. Um, and then they start talking about how like he has this fascination with like young male beauty and, you know, he was obsessed with trying to stay young, trying to stay fit. Like he would, you know, read all these kind of fitness magazines. And then you see there's this image of the last supper superimposed over this fitness model. And it's like the advertisement is be somebody with the body. So it's, um, it's making you think that like, okay, the beauty of the body, sure. Aesthetically speaking, it's objectively beautiful, um but this youthful beauty is passing and that Mm. as much as he may seek pleasure in this or some kind of satisfaction he knows that the only body that truly lasts is you know christ's Mm -hmm. offering this uh, the eucharist um and the other thing within this the photo um i think it's what is it richard avadon did of him with his wounds it's i mean there's a kind of christ-like um implication but also saint sebastian mm-hmm. so the i guess like the kind of artistic history of sebastian these paintings of sebastian um a lot of people say it's like the christian rendering of the cult of adonis because you know for the pagan mythology adonis is the archetypal beautiful young man who has this ideal body but dies so it's to say that you know sure like this beauty is uh it's exciting but it's gonna fade after a while mm-hmm. whereas sebastian like also represents this beautiful male youth but he recognizes that the true beauty is ultimately god's love and the example that christ sets on the cross so when you know he's told to renounce his faith by i think it was diocletian in the third century he chooses christ and they shoot him with arrows so it's as if to say that um those who allow themselves to be penetrated by beauty the true beauty um sure will fade but they will live on because now they're united to to christ and his love Mm -hmm. the martyr whereas for adonis like he wants to in a sense possess beauty he wants to penetrate the beauty rather than allow himself to be penetrated by it and then it's going to die. Mm. So for him, like for Warhol, you see him like wrestling with, okay, what is, what is the true beauty of my body? Is it, again, aesthetic appearance? Is it youthfulness? Or is it uniting myself to Christ's death, to mm-hmm. ultimate to the Eucharist? And that goes back to what you were saying about like participation in Christ's suffering, offering our suffering to him, mm. you know? So I think the arrangement of the pieces in that section of the exhibit are, again, I don't think it was intentional, but it it says a lot. Yeah. I don't think it was intentional either, but it's very, yeah, it felt very like theology of the body to me. Yes. Which brings us into our next step. (laughs) So this this is fun. So in the beginning of the exhibit, they have like, they have his crucifix, that is baptismal certificate. They have all these holy cards that he collected. And one of them is Paul VI. And when you saw that, you asked... I wonder if Andy Warhol read Humanae Vitae. So then we did a little bit of research. 
um, the day that he visited the Vatican to meet John Paul II was April 2nd, 1980. And we all know what John Paul II would have been talking about on a Wednesday in the 80s. Oh, what it, is that? It was one of his catecheses that ended up becoming Theology, the Theology of the Body. Of the Body. How many years? Was it 79 to 82? I don't know. I think it, I was, it was several years. Um, I just, I mean, when I read the Theology of the Body, I'm just like, who actually understood what he was talking about when they were standing there in the Vatican Square? Yeah. Like, you have to really sit down and read that stuff. Like, yes. I think it was going over their heads. But anyway, Andy Warhol was there for Theology of the Body. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It is crazy. And I think, well, one thing that we talked about at the show after we thought about this question with Humane Vitae was, would if, if he did read it, I, like, we were curious what his perspective or thoughts would have been about Humanae Vitae versus Theology, theology of the Body. Of the body. Yes. And that brought about an interesting point that, that you mentioned about, um, you know, Humanae Vitae is much more, what's the word, it's, like, Thomistic? Um, it's Thomistic. It's scholastic theology. Yeah. Because he's talking about, like, the telos, the end of sex, the conjugal act. So it's a very like rationalistic, very uh, philosophical approach to this issue of artificial contraception, which look like at the end of the day, the conclusion he comes to is reasonable. Mm-hmm. And also it's, you know, it's spoken out of the magisterium, so you got to follow it. But I think John Paul II realized like as much as the conclusions are true, this logic doesn't speak to people anymore. Because when people are trying to decide how to live their lives, they're not like, hmm, you know, what is the the final cause or the the efficient cause of this act? Like, mm-hmm. no one's an Aristotelian. No one's really a Thomist anymore. We think in, through the lens of subjectivity, of experience. And this is, like, this is postmodern thought. Like, everything mm-hmm. comes back to our subjective experience. So the only way we can come to these conclusions about what sex is really for is not through this scholastic analysis, but asking like, what is the real meaning? How do, in our own experience, what do we recognize to be true about our sexual desire? So you see John Paul borrowing a lot more from the phenomenological tradition, which emerged out of like postmodern thought. Um, You know, he was a, I think he studied Heidegger and Husserl Mm -hmm. back when he was in school. So like, I think he just intuited, like, okay, the culture's going in a certain direction. we got to use this approach. And I feel like for Andy, because he has such a postmodern sensibility, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he agreed with Paul VI and Humanae Vitae, but I feel like, especially if he was standing there listening to John Paul reading this, mm-hmm. theology of the body would resonate with him and his artistic sensibility more. Mm-hmm. So we pulled up, there's a a quote from this catechesis. So basically it's commentary on, um, I forget, in Matthew's gospel when the Pharisees ask him, you know, like, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he gives the whole spiel of like, okay, well, you know, Moses said you could, but why did Moses say you could get divorced? Because of the hardness of your hearts, but in the beginning Mm. it wasn't so. So then he comments on like, okay, what did Adam and Eve see in each other in the beginning when their hearts were like totally open? And he talks about this total vision of man that accounts for like our integrated humanity, that body and soul are one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wonder like for Warhol, what did that mean to him? hearing that because like also he's criticizing this modern materialistic or utilitarian way of looking at the body and i always like that just makes me think about like his obsession with consumerism with the campbell soup cans um like is the body just a product that we use for pleasure or is it a sign of something greater Mm. i don't know i imagine he would have had a lot to say after listening to this catechesis yeah, I wonder that too. And it seems like 
uh, Andy Warhol went to go see Pope John Paul II out of this desire to come to know his identity more, or maybe that was something that you shared with me when we were at the show, like this searching for himself in this in his state in life and i think uh, a lot of we see a lot of like celebrities throughout time doing this they hit a certain age and have this life experience and then they want to go see like the the ultimate religious source of knowledge like the sage or like whoever it is to to gain a wisdom about like themselves and what their relation to the world and to the universe is. So I'm sure like with that mindset, if, if that would have been his mindset going to the Vatican, I think he would have had very open ears and probably would have taken this in and had questions at least, if nothing else, coming out of it. I mean, yeah. but he's also, what's interesting about him is that um, we also know that he frequented daily mass at St. Vincent Fair, yes. which has the Dominican friars, the order of preachers. And the uh, so he's also receiving a lot of maybe Thomistic thought and preaching mm-hmm. as well from going to daily mass there. So that's a good point. So I, I wonder if, you know, he probably did have this like framework to intelligently like see with the eyes of faith uh the reality of sexuality and mm-hmm. the truth of it and maybe going to see pope john paul ii i know he didn't like get to have a private audience mm-hmm. although he wanted to he shook his hand yeah right yeah which is big it's a big deal that is a big deal I wish so I could. <laughs> <laughs> so i i do wonder if you know he probably his ears were probably like interested or ready to hear something like this from the mouth of someone he's looking to for help. Yeah, and I think that brings us to this angle that they're really insisting on in the commentary. Mm-hmm. And just first of all, like this exhibit was curated by Jose Carlos Diaz. I'm trying to find it. So he's the one who is in charge of his estate. Um, I have the title here. Hold on, where is it? So Jose Carlos Diaz is the chief curator, okay, Um, organized by Carmen Hermo, associate curator, Elizabeth A. Sackler Center for Feminist Art, um, and funded by none other than Perrier Water, very delicious, very bougie, expensive. So, and again, at the end of this exhibit, I just really loved the way every like how extensive it was and that they included these personal objects and these photos and his mother's drawings as well mm-hmm. um but the commentary was just so outlandish because kind of obsessive insistence on this duality so-called duality between his faith his sexuality and it's like not once did they mention that this guy was celibate, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty weird. Um, but like, if there's such a conflict for him between his faith and his sexual desires, like, first of all, why don't you comment on this fact that he was celibate? But also, like, why are we presuming that um, there is this irreconcilable conflict? When I look at these pieces, I'm like, these pieces are full of richness, of nuance. Um, if anything, his choice to like follow these ideals furthered his artistic sensibility, but I also think his attention to paradox. I don't think it hindered it. I don't think it mm-hmm. was the source of anguish that they make it out to be, um, which they repeat over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I have to agree. I I think coming into this exhibition, I didn't why I didn't know what to expect is because I knew that I knew Warhol's work. I I I knew a lot of his work does deal with very pornographic subject matter. Uh, one of the videos in the exhibition <laughs> was the Chelsea Girls, yeah. which I was familiar with 
because um, in high school I was very into Warhol and, you know, didn't know a lot about him, but thought that, you know, kind of like every high school kid that starts to get into art, you just, you find pop art and you're like, whoa, this is so great. <laughs> um, and yeah, the Chelsea girls, I just remember being so scandalized by that video as a high schooler like seeing a little bit of it and being like okay this is not what i want to see and so i just put out of my mind that he could be a catholic yeah. and that that he could even be like close to something like theology of the body or humane vitae just seems so out of the realm of my perspective but then like going to this show with you and hearing a little bit of your commentary as we went along and recognizing like there could be this other way that he was seeing the work that he was making that is like perverse and mm -hmm. pornographic um, because there is still, there's something laughable about that video, the Chelsea girls. Like when we went and sat and watched it, it was kind of, it was just like, it. it was a little much. Yeah, it was a little Maybe much, but, I'll finish it, but it but. just, the way it was made, I, I didn't get the sense that it was glorifying this yeah. like uh, hedonistic okay. lifestyle. It seemed like, there. There's the it's like this diptych of uh, kind of this heavy woman on the phone like talking to her friend ba -da 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 -da, and yeah. being weird and then on the other side of the screen there's these two couples that like one of the women is stripping the guy down and like about to kill him or something it, it's it's really insane and yeah. I haven't seen the whole film I can't say I, I have but just seeing that for five minutes I'm like. I, I don't get the sense that Warhol was like, oh, this is so great and elevated okay. that I want to show it to the world. I think it was kind of like this silly, weird film that he wanted to be a part of Hollywood and like mm. kind of make this scandalous imagery and had these women who were willing to do that, yeah. that kind of wanted to become it girls. Um I don't know. I, I I'm not really sure what to make of all of that, but yeah, because like, sure, he's not he's not a saint. Like, he's not an exemplary right. Catholic. And I was just pulled up. Um, so yeah, like I, it was a couple of years ago that Mark Barnes had this piece about Warhol celibacy, and then another Pythios writer was saying, yeah, but a real what did she say? She said a real celibate person, or was it? Um, a celibate person who encourages others to commit sexual violations is no celibate at all. I mean, sure, like in theory, yeah, if you're making pornographic films, you're a voyeur. Like, no, you're not really being chased, but I don't think we can write him off just because he wasn't like a perfect mm -hmm. saint. Like the fact that he grappled with these things, that he was mm -hmm. living celibately, it says something about his religious sensibility um that again the whole point is that this exhibit and its curators are overlooking but also are insisting very harshly very strongly for reasons that are just like to me it's like you you're trying to push an agenda like you're mm. not really grappling with who he was and what he was saying mm. and even like when they were showing his reproductions of renaissance pieces like it skips right away to like oh in the catholic church and Renaissance art glorifies Western culture and is white supremacist. And it's like, I mean, sure, yeah, in some ways, but what does that have to do with Warhol? Why mm -hmm. are you talking about this? That's not relevant at all, mm -hmm. or only tangentially. So it's just, I wonder how many people really take the curator's comments seriously, because to uh -huh. me, it was like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, just I kind of see, especially with how many times certain themes were echoed throughout the whole exhibition with the captions yes. in terms of like, oh, well, his sexuality was so at war with the church. And so, you know, so they really addressed that multiple times, like multiple times. Yeah. Over and this and is, over. and he did this because he was rebelling against the churches. To, and it, I, to me, it just seemed overdone. And um, I don't know like I don't I guess I just don't really get that from looking at his work but it feels like they're kind of digging for something mm -hmm. that our culture is used to hearing like it's it's yeah. it's like oh yeah that makes sense to most people mm -hmm. in New York in this in the art world it's like 
yeah, that makes sense. It's easy to filter in and then like plug and chug and get that answer out. Like, yep, this work is sexual. It's about two men and he was Catholic. Oh, it must be about him rebelling against the church. But I think it's harder for people to digest a different thought process that you're, we're proposing. And so that it, that doesn't like make headlines that that like sure being able to to investigate it through a different lens that says something different yeah. it doesn't sound as comfortable for the gallery going public mm-hmm. and so because it, it forces people to recognize like mm. oh like there is truth and there is beauty and goodness within like an institution like the catholic church Therefore, like, sin is real. And not despite its teachings, but right because of. Like, yeah. there's an... Because they, they seem to appreciate that his faith did inspire his art. That there's, like, you know, there's something meaningful about Catholic spirituality mm-hmm. when it comes to the doctrines. Like, oh, but those things. It's like there's no sense that chastity, that renunciation in general, uh, sparks our mystical awareness of who we are of reality Mm. and that that mystical awareness can further the artistic drive rather than hindering it like there's a sense that if i give up something of my instinct i lose who i am i lose this awareness of beauty where in reality or at least for those who believe in these doctrines like no it can sharpen your artistic awareness your mystical Mm -hmm. awareness like it's that's not even considered and i understand why but I just think the insistence over and over again that like, oh, the duality, it's like, all right, enough after a while. You mm-hmm. said it, you know, let the art speak for itself now. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, That's a good point. So anyway, so let's, um, we can wrap things up. What are some plugs? How can people find you? Um, yeah. What do you want to plug? Yeah. Well, people can find me at my website, um, just my name, AaronKMcAtee.com or Instagram might be a little easier. Um, it's just my name again, Aaron K. McAtee. Um, and maybe Steven will link it into the bio or something, but yeah, and you can find me in the city. (laughs) Yes. And do you have any installations around now or coming up? I don't, but hoping to find some sort of gallery situation in the spring. Okay. I'm not sure what that'll look like, but I'm just making so much work right now that it feels like, yeah, I, I need to start getting it out. Yeah. So So when that happens, we will tell everyone. <laughs> um, and my written analysis of the Warhol exhibit is coming out in America magazine or maybe this is going to be, it's going to be up by the time I publish this. So I'll link that as well. But thank you, Erin, for joining us. This thank you fun. for having me. This is an honor. Yes. Cracks and Pomo. Hashtag. <laughs> and we hope everyone's been sufficiently scandalized. The end.